episode 47. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing DS9's seventh season episodes, Changing Face of Evil, When It Rains, Tacking into the Wind, and Extreme Measures. Here we go. The Changing Face of Evil, Season 7, Episode 20, Production Number 570, Original Air Date, April 28, 1999, Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, Directed by Mike Viger, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, Casey Biggs as Demar, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, James Otis as Solbor, John Vickery as Gold Roussat, Salome Jens as female shapeshifter, and Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn. While Dominion and Breen commanders execute a sneak attack on Earth, their supposed ally, Cardassian leader Dumar, secretly plots to free his homeland from Dominion occupation. Meanwhile, on Bajor, Dukat tells Kai Wynn she must release the Pa Wraiths, the non-comporeal enemies of her gods, from the planet's fire caves by reading the ancient forbidden texts of the Costa Moja. Meanwhile, Sisko receives word that the Breen have launched a counteroffensive against the Federation's lone foothold in Dominion territory, the Kachaka system. But right now, Cardassia is an occupied territory, and to defeat an occupying army takes careful planning and secrecy. Can we really hope to defeat the Dominion? With the Breen on their side, they're stronger than ever. But we will be fighting to win back our homes and our freedom, and that will make us even stronger. Holy crap, the Breen, <laughs> the Breen attacked Earth. Yeah, that we never see that kind of thing. I know. Right I was trying it's, to think. Uh, like, I can count on one hand how many times in the history of Star Trek have we seen Earth attacked? So, okay, we got this one, and we got um, the Borg in uh, twice first contact, and then and they tried. Twice. They almost got there, and right. I, yeah, best of both worlds. So you can't really count that. They didn't make it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. What okay, about the so motion really picture? Would Viger? Yeah. Uh, would you? She did launch missiles all around Earth. Okay. For those big... <laughs> okay, no, I'll give you that. And then if you're going to count that, then maybe uh, Voyage Home, Star Trek IV. Um, so that's like three we've got so far. And then Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the terrorist attack at the beginning of Season 3. That's four. So it's happened a few times. But we've yeah, never but seen, like... Um, we've never, except for maybe um, Enterprise, we've never really seen, like, the damage that's been left behind. You know, yeah. Because obviously, so, you get those you get those views of um, you know, San Francisco with the you know Golden Gate basically ripped in half. That's kind of um, freaky looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's pretty nutty. Yeah, um, I watched that episode having just been in San Francisco. It's <laughs> even stranger. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We were just looking at that mm-hmm. bridge. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's kind of a um, you know, it works. It mm-hmm. is as far as uh. Uh, what was it? World, World War Two. We um, we flew some planes deep, deep, just to drop a few bombs on Tokyo, even though there wasn't much to it. Isn't that Ben Affleck who did that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You know. Um, anyway, so I mean that this it's 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 a neat kind of concept, you know. Um, when I, when it, the only purpose of the attack really is to shake them up. Um, I don't know if we see much consequence of that actually working, I guess, but... Mm-hmm. No, um, well, if you, if you think about it, sneak attacks, um, 
generally, especially on the on the United States, have um, kind of motivated this country. They, you know, you awaken the sleeping giant. It's basically, what is that? The quote from one of the um, Japanese admirals during the um, Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stuff happens in this episode. A mm-hmm. lot of stuff. You know. Well, I guess every episode at this point, a lot of stuff is going to happen. Um, makes it and, difficult to write a summary. <laughs> yeah, it makes it it makes it difficult to kind of keep keep track because they they feel like, with the exception of the last one we're going to talk about today, Extreme Measures, they all feel like just goes one goes right into the next. They feel like one big story. You know, I'm, I'm anxious to rewatch the uh, finale. You know, the final uh, two parter, mm-hmm. uh, what you leave behind, because my memory is that that also just felt like the same story. It didn't really feel like a, that's not necessarily a complaint, but it, it, it didn't feel like a big finale. It felt like the end of the 10, 10 episode. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, well, this has kind of been, this isn't normal, like normal television. I think this is kind of the first taste of what television we have today. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah we talked about that a little bit on our last episode. Yeah. And so it's more like the conclusion or third act of a movie. So here we are in the middle of that act. Uh, well, of the middle of the final act, uh, changing face of evil, um, and you know, so a lot of stuff happens. Uh, probably more than anything, we see uh, Ducat and Wynn's relationship evolve, and we see uh, Damar and Wayun's. Well, Damar and the Dominion's relationship evolve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, changes a bit. So I, we've been yeah. we've been following uh, Damar. Uh, you know, I would be hard pressed to find any character in the history of all the Star Treks that has come as far as Damar did. It, you know, anybody else, um, you, you, you know that they were meant to be, to, to be something big, right? Mm-hmm. But you look back on the first time we ever saw Damar, <laughs> and he, he was just an extra, yeah. yeah. Yeah, darn near. And here he is, by the end of this episode, Cardassians resist. The leader of his people. And it's it's pretty crazy that he comes mm-hmm. that far. Um, and they and done in or an organic fashion where it didn't feel like let's absolutely. take this guy and do something. That's the that's the big trick of it, you know. Yeah. Where it didn't feel convoluted or something. Yeah. Definitely. Well, yeah, they they spent a lot of time setting up. Did you read anywhere, Brian, where this was um this was planned out or was this just kind of something that they figured out they wanted to do in the last season? We're starting the ten episodes. Are you, or, well, no, you're talking about Damar? Right, Damar. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Like, so much of it was, it, was a, it was give and take between the two of them. You know, they liked him, so they brought him back. He got bigger and bigger. They, he's, uh, Casey Biggs has talked about, Steve and I saw him last year. He talked about, um, he thinks they just, they liked the way he looked at a bar holding a drink. Impressive <laughs> <laughs> about him doing that. And, and the writers just, you know, Ira Bear particularly, you know, they just kind of went with that, you know, and um, Ira Bear had talked about, I knew that we were going somewhere with his drinking, but I wasn't sure where. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It certainly wasn't planned out from the beginning. Um, you know, by sometime in the late sixth, early seventh season, I think they knew where they were going with him. Um, but you know it's 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 pretty exciting and it's very satisfying. Like so much of this show, it's very satisfying for someone who has followed uh, the show all this time for the very reason you just said, Steve, that it that it is organic. Um, now the founders, I think, make a lot of mistakes here. Uh, we've seen that sort of thing before. Uh, the Brian attacking Earth was not a mistake. I mean, that's was a 
logical strategy and, and uh, possibly effective. Um, one thing that they definitely did wrong, Wei Yun, we've talked about his overconfidence being his Achilles heel. Um, he does not see, talking about DeMar, he doesn't see DeMar's um, rebellion coming at all. Well, he doesn't yeah. respect him at all. I mean, he just considers him to be a kind of a drunk, you know, yes man. So that's what, I think that's what we, at least that's what I feel that, that's how Wei Yun sees DeMar is just a drunk yes man that he has to slap around. It's basically his okay. bitch. But even <laughs> even when you see Mar without the bottle, you're missing something different about you. Oh, you don't. You, you don't. Um, even then, and he thinks that Demar's coming back around. It doesn't occur to him that Demar's, you know, about to rebel, bring the Cardassians with him. He's just like, oh, you thought we weren't going to win for a while, but now you know we're we're going to win, so you're happy again, or something to that effect. You know, it's it's way in overconfidence. Yeah, I think we've kind of addressed this at some point before a bit, but uh, I think the Dominion as a whole, the the crucial weakness is solids in general are underestimated, and and mostly from the um, the nature of what how they respond to provocation, you know, how they respond to having their freedoms taken away and being provoked. I think they consistently underestimate um, all other all other species in that regard. Well, what do we see that? Um um, Damara actually points out Wayun's weaknesses in a couple. What was it? A few episodes ago, when um, Worf killed was it Wayun? What are we on? Eight? He killed seven, six or seven. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one of those guys, and you know he was just laughing at um, overconfidence. And so Damara knew it then. So yeah, it's maybe he knew he could get away with it. Well, another mistake that they make here is uh, the founder lets the escape pods escape. Yeah. Uh, and she does that for the same reason that the brain launched this um, faraway attack on Earth, just to instill fear in the enemy. Uh, but at this point, how does she not? Um, <laughs> how does she not realize you? If you have a chance to kill Cisco and his crew, take it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that seems uh, uh, it's kind of like oh. the end of a James Bond movie where um, the villain walks out before he sees Bond actually yeah, be killed classic maneuver yeah <laughs> um, on the other hand the uh, Defiant is destroyed now at the time big deal like holy god crap uh, they mm-hmm. destroyed it. and this is one of the few complaints I have about this final arc which almost every episode I think is not good but great a great way to end this series we're going to talk a lot more about that probably on our next show. Um, but one of my few complaints about it is that they have this great dramatic moment to me where they destroy the Defiant. And now when I watch it again, it means nothing to me. Watching it explode in this episode, it's like, doesn't matter. They're going to get the ship. Yeah, yeah they, they, I think they committed a faux pas there. I think the Enterprise is the only ship that can be brought back to life. It's, it's the only one that um, holds that um, holds that honor to be brought back. When they probably. did, we got the 1701 a Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. the same ship. I mean, that just it, huh. plus. Yeah. Well, you know, this. I guess the the moment to complain about this is the episode where it happens. But <laughs> on, on this show, there are only a couple episodes left. You know, right? It's yeah. If you're gonna do it, it's way too quick too. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just kind of doesn't mean anything. Well, well, not really. You know, they were saving money. They didn't want to build a whole new set for a new ship. So yeah, yeah, I understand that, but. 
No, I, I, totally, I totally agree, you know, because, um, you know, when you first, I remember first seeing that, like, damn, they, they destroyed the Defiant because that's pretty, um, it's pretty dramatic for a Star Trek episode because, you know, um, the ships are such an integral, they're a character of the show, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it started with, you know, the Enterprise, it, it was a very integral character of, of the original and Next Gen series, and um, we didn't we didn't really have that in DS9 until, you know, you have the station, but that's, it was different, to me, it, it yeah. felt that the station actually felt different, and, and until they got um, the Defiant, they didn't have that um, ship character. I mean, we had all the um, runabouts, but it just wasn't the same. So, yeah, it was very dramatic for me, and it does take it away because, oh, yeah, a couple episodes. Be so, like right, there's, like, there's episode, then that should be dramatic, and that should be pretty cool. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what else? We got, uh, we got Wayun and Dukat and Sobor. That's an interesting storyline right there. So, so you guys you, you guys buy that... Uh, that win kills somewhere. Yeah, I do. She's just uh, she's just fallen farther and farther, and now she totally went over the cliff. <laughs> well, well, for me, it came down to the fact it's it's been her fear all um you know her fear of loss of power. You know, she's incredibly power hungry, and you know we've talked about it over and over again. And it really came down to this: he was going to expose her, and she was going to lose everything, and she couldn't have this. But even though, I mean, Sobor says, don't you recognize Dukat? But that was a pretty heavy moment. I remember wondering, where is this going to go? What can happen here? Um, I suppose that her killing Sobor was the way out of that, <laughs> narratively. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, she's evil enough at this point, I guess, that we, she's it's okay that she's with Dukat, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That she's still, you know, she's like, she doesn't kick him out when she knows who he is. Well, yeah, I mean, in a way, she's kind of cornered. She can't go back. She's um... mm-hmm. since power is first to her, and she, you know, any maneuver. I mean, what is she going to do? That if she turns him in or doesn't, you know, whatever, it's going to mean that she has to step down. I mean, she's gone this far, so she just goes all in. I do have a question though. If the book of the Costumogen was so evil, contained such evil. Why didn't they just burn it? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why have it sitting around and then make it so the Kai can read it? Just says asking for yeah. something like this to happen. It seems like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I like the uh, you know ship battle. Like we we we're to the point where we're almost taken for granted. But you got to remember, just a few years before this, we couldn't have big ship battles with so many ships and mm-hmm. all that. You know, um, we weren't seeing. You know, in next gen, when they made a ship blow up, it was it was usually footage from one of the movies that they stole you know yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. even just blowing stuff up or anything like that these big battles and all this this extra that we get from cg um what's this episode about guys i you know pr- pretty much this episode along with the next couple are going to have all the same themes but well if you want to look at it um everybody i mean the kai's all in so um yeah it's for me it's kind of hard because they all kind of run together um I don't know. You go first, Steve. <laughs> yeah, at this point, these kind of serial things, it gets harder to discern individual episodes and what they address. Um, I know usually the title of the episode gives us a clue as to the intent, at least, of the of the writers. And um, 
I, you know, I'd say it's to me this episode is a, is a culmination. It's kind of like we're 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 going all in, all in at this point. You know, we wrapped sure. up the kind of the the small threads and we're moving forward with these big themes. And uh, you have uh, the Kai and Ducat, and um, you know they are obviously the the evil force now. We we can recognize that, and uh, and then the the Dominion, the founders, and so on. What's happening with the Breen? I mean, I, to me, it's like the the sides are completely. Everyone's taking the sides now. Everyone, all the the pieces are in play for the end. That's what this feels like to me. I guess. I guess you can also look at it. You know, we were talking about overconfidence. Um, we kind of see it. If you look at everything as, you know, I'm kind of looking at these 10 episodes as kind of a whole. If we look back to this one, there's a lot of overconfidence. Um, you know, you, we obviously um, saw it in um, Wayun. We see it in The Founder. And um, to, to the same degree, I think we kind of see it in the Kai and Dukat. If we, you know, if we, if we, if I, we already know the end, but looking back from the end to now, it, you can see that there's a lot of um, overinflated confidence about what they're doing. Hmm. And I think that comes out in this episode. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about some of these same themes, same themes in the next one. So let's move right on. Six degrees for uh, changing face of evil. So as I've mentioned, all these final episodes is just too much of a pain <laughs> to write real six degrees questions where we ask about actors that have played characters in other episodes uh, because for the most part they don't introduce new characters in any of these. So we're changing our game up just a little bit. I'm just asking one question on each one of these. Um, so let's start with. Um, um, Steve. Yes. So we got a, a, our first couple today are like the ones we had last week. Who played their character more? Was it Casey Biggs as Demar or Jeff Combs as Wayun? Hmm. And uh, yeah, for these questions, emissary, way the warrior, what you leave behind, or count. We're going to count those as one episode. Okay. Yes, okay. I am not sure. I'm going to say Casey Biggs. Uh, you are incorrect. It was Jeff Combs' way in, but just by one. 23 to 24. Ah. Oh, don't feel bad. Right. I was going to say um, Casey, too. <laughs> <laughs> what about the first we had, Casey? <laughs> well, well, yeah, we had a lot of those episodes when, DeMar, when they were, you know, going to war with the Cardassians, so that's what I thought yeah. came When It Rains, Season 7, Episode 21, Production Number 571, Original Air Date, May 5th, 1999. Written by Renea Caveria, directed by Michael Dorn, music composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Casey Biggs as Damar, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, Robert O'Reilly as Galron, John Vickery as Gold Roussat, Scott Burkholder as Hilliard, Stephen Yoakum as Belai, Vaughn Armstrong as Seskel, Colby French as Ensign Weldon, and Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn. To help Damar lead the revolt against Cardassia, Sisko orders Kira to go with Garrick to Cardassia to teach the Cardassians the techniques of guerrilla warfare. Subsequently, Admiral Ross grants Kira a field commission in Starfleet with the rank of commander. Bashir's idea of using changeling tissue to create better synthetic organs for solids leads to his discovery that Odo is infected with the same disease plaguing the Great Link. Odo decides to go with Kira to Cardassia anyway, and Bashir tries hard to get Odo's medical records from his visit to Earth three years ago, but when he receives a phony file, he soon realizes that Section 31 created the disease and used Odo as a carrier. I was running a scan on the sample you left me when I noticed something unusual. 
Unusual in what way? The disease that's killing your people. You're infected. <clears throat> All right. Um, Lots there. Yeah. 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 Reading the synopsis on this, you know, it, we used to talk about, like, I used to complain, like, if, 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 if the synopsis is just full of, like, lots of stuff that happens, then it's usually not as good an episode. So. I even left a lot out. I mean, there's yeah, still a lot. I, of- I think the reason this, the, the reason some of this works is just because while there, it is very plot heavy, plot, 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 in the context of all these episodes put together, you know, we still have a lot of of um, thematic material. Yeah, uh, we, have we still a have a lot of things going on. Yeah, there's a the serious thing that I left out was the Klingon stuff with um, what is it, Marta being replaced or Gowron mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of heavy stuff in this episode. Um, first, I would like my. I'm having a little hard of a time here reading my notes, but I think I wrote down, "I love garlic." <laughs> I think that's what that says. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so Kira, she gets her last uniform. Starfleet uniform. She looks good in Starfleet uniform. Cool. Yeah. I think she's, except for maybe the first couple of years, she's looked good in all her uniforms. That's true. Well, like the the hair and the emissary. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, seeing her in a Starfleet uniform, it immediately makes me think of Steve. I think you read more of the books than any of us. Was she on like the cover of some books in that uniform? Because that's what I picture. I picture yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The um the relaunch novels. Was she Starfleet then? Oh gosh, it's been I a long, a long time ago. Long time. Yeah. I don't remember. Oh well. Anyway, that's what it makes me it makes me think of book covers when I see her in that uniform. But um, so she gets what must be her favorite assignment ever: um, go Ooh. with Garrick to help Damar. Save the Cardassian people. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Tamar, um, who murdered her, her like, kind of little sister, like, little like, sister, whatever. almost yeah, kind of a goddaughter or something to that effect. Um, which is weird, you know. I still think about that when I see him, even when mm-hmm. I see him being this great man, becoming this great man. Um, it's hard. It's hard to ever really forget that. Um, and I, I don't think Kira. Ever could I? I'm, I really like that she does mention it at the open of this episode, yeah. just to make sure that we know that she hasn't forgotten. Well, they, um, they also they also don't <laughs> let him off the hook either. Later on, I can't remember if it's is it this episode or the next one where his family is killed. Next, they, I think it's the next one. We'll get into it then. But um, yeah. yeah, they don't they don't let him off the hook then either. So, um, so more heavy stuff here. We've got uh, Odo has the disease. That must be a little bit, you know, uncomfortable. Here you are sitting with your current <laughs> girlfriend and you get the news from the doctor. Mm. You've got a disease and you got it from your, you know, previous girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were doing then, you know, that's what happened probably. Awkward. Uh, we know that's not actually how he got it. Well, sort of is, right? Because if if we go way back then when he was turned when he became human, uh Well no, am he I was getting infected my first, right? Well, no, because like you know. Yeah, but he was infected first, and then he gave it to them. But then it would have cleared up when he became human, and then he got it back from them when he became yeah. a changeling again. Yeah, I uh, bet they kind of forgot about all that stuff when they wrote this. But yeah, that's more or less what what went down. Yeah. But yeah, he became human after this that 
that Starfleet medical right. Uh, yeah, the medical okay, thing so, was what, what um, Red Squadron that those episodes. Right. Yeah. And see, it actually makes sense though, because otherwise he should have started started to show symptoms sooner right. than anybody. It kind of helps explain it. Yeah. 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 Even though but they don't. Anyway. We're, we're explaining it now. They didn't really explain it. In the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. They did not. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of heavy. Um, it is a bit of a to me. It's kind of convoluted. The. Um, how they get to that point, you know, Bashir once say, hey, can you give me a sample so I can look into this research? It seems like such a weird timing. You know, that's why they do it to get to get to the point. Oh, he's got the disease. But the whole timing of, hey, I'm doing some research into some limbs and let's, uh, you know, get your goo or whatever and whatever. You know, it's just kind of seems funny. I, I tend to think of it like these these kind of things are happening all the time on the living station. Uh, we just right. See that stuff because it's sure. not just to our episode. In this case, it was so. Uh, maybe I'm, you know, stretching or reaching to find a. No, that makes sense. Yeah. but that's kind of what I, how I look at it. Um, were you guys surprised that Odo had the disease? Did you expect to see that coming? You know, it's funny. I com- had completely forgotten. To be oh honest, my God, I- the opposite thing happened to me. I was remembering that like it was on every episode of all ten. <laughs> <laughs> Shocked that he got the disease and got rid of it. In the span of our podcast today, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had an episode, an episode, an episode, like it lasted forever. But you, you didn't even remember it. Look at that. Well, I mean, I felt kind of silly not remembering because I remember the, um, you know, the whole episode we're going to talk about later. Is, you know, getting inside um, Thirty One's Slo- brain, Sloan's yeah. brain. I remember that episode, and I couldn't realize. I just, I don't know, just you know, the slip in the mind. I felt kind of thinking it lasted more than than three episodes, but <laughs> I think it's what I didn't remember is him being all. You know, I, the best way I can describe it is he's like clay. You know, he's like um clay is just scaling off of him. He kind of looks like a clay figure to me when he's all <laughs> gross looking. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a decrepit Gumby. <laughs> Could be. As we almost tells Bashir that she loves him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I I like the scenes between Ezri and Worf now. Um, those were good. You know, they're sitting at the table and they're kind of. They're not already. They're having a banter back and forth, and I, I, those are kind of nice. Yeah, I like. I think the next episode they have some good stuff about the Klingons. <clears throat> uh, Ducat blinded. I really liked this. Um, the the writers, it, it, everything went so well the first couple of episodes when they're on the station, um, and they kind of peaked too soon between the, the drama between these these two. Uh, so they didn't know exactly what to do with them when they once they were on Bajor. Um, and I think it was at Kaveria, I forget, but somebody came up the, with the idea of this, of blinding Dukat and having him sent out and stuff. And I, I, I like it. it. It's because it's he, the, the way he gets blinded, right? Cause he, he goes in there. I don't think he's, he went into Dukat or Dukat into Wynn's quarters with the plan of looking at the book, but he goes in there, he sees the book sitting there. She's not there. And the old Dukat is still in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, the first thought he has is, oh, I'll just peek into this book here and see, you know. Well, he even says, what are you hiding from me? Yeah, but it's it's like um, uh, his true self fails him to me. You know, like it, he it, he can't escape it. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, he's blinded and then she's going to kick him out on the street, which is great. I, I'm trying to remember, are we going to actually see, literally see him as a beggar? I don't think we see like Bajoran streets at any point, do we? I don't recall that. No, neither do I. And cool, but I don't. Yeah, I don't think we see that. Um, I think it's also important too that uh, you know he gets knocked down a peg, and it also makes her 
kind of look tough for a little bit too, you know, but she, it doesn't look like she's getting walked on so much, you know, you knock down right. Ducat a little bit and then she kind of makes a stand for a change, you know, she recognizes cool. him. Ducat, like she, like she wouldn't have done this if he had been Angel or Angelo, whatever, you know, no, I don't think yeah. so. I think, I think she actually, I mean, we've seen the Kai, you know, she revels and kind of kicking people especially when they're down. Um, <laughs> it's kind of her sadistic way, so this is definitely in character for her. Higher than everyone else. Um, well, and then, of course, we've got the heaviest thing in this episode, which we're going to... We, we've mentioned for the first time in this episode, and then we're going to be discussing it more in the next couple, but um, Starfleet... First of, The first thing that happens is Starfleet Medical is unwilling to help find a cure for this disease that could save the people that are currently our enemy from extinction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, eventually we're going to find out that it was even worse than that because it was, you know, section 31 uh, engineered this virus, uh, which is nothing short of genocide. Um, you could say, well, okay, you're just talking about section 31 there, which is a smaller group of people, but Starfleet Medical officially unwilling to help mm-hmm. find this cure uh, because it could cure their enemy. Uh, I think they had um, Bashir kind of not Bashir. They had O'Brien kind of soften the blow on that to kind of like, oh, they're just pissed because they, you know, in the previous episode they were just attacked. So you probably, I think they kind of realized where they were going with that, and they had um, O'Brien, you know, soften that a little bit. And you think about it, it kind of it's not a it's not excusable, but you know, if if your base was attacked, you probably wouldn't have a lot of sympathy for the people who just attacked you, mm-hmm. whether they had a disease or not. So it's ethical that they would do this? No, but well, I think not he eventually. To me. I mean, yeah. well, he eventually got him because what he had to go through Cisco, who had the proper clearance. They weren't going to give it to him because he didn't have the proper clearance. So I don't. I, I didn't find that as big a deal. They faked the records in that case. What's that? They faked the records in that case. But well, I thought it was. I thought that was Section Thirty One that faked them. Yeah, Section Thirty One. Um, so it wasn't actually Star. To me, it wasn't actually Starfleet Medical that actually fabricated the records. Yeah. So it was a smaller group that took it that far. Regardless, um, it's still kind of um, it's 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 very dark for um, for the human side of Star Trek. And and so much is happening in this episode. It, it happens. It's just one little thing that I think. I think it's easy to miss that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll talk sure. more about genocide shortly. Um, it's just it's so hard to talk about this. Without, you know. Yeah, we'll more, get into, we'll probably get into this a lot. And what is it? Extreme measures. That's the last one. Yeah, but then even the, the next episode. Well, the next episode we're gonna have some good Klingon stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting that they set it up so that only the Klingon ships are invulnerable to that nutty Breen weapon, which I think I forgot to mention in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, that thing is powerful. Yeah. I remember that blowing me away the first time I saw it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, with that battle scene was great because they just come charging in there and they're they're pretty much messing up the um the Breen ships. It's they're not even it's not even taking a lot of shots for them to destroy those ships and you you're like, oh, they're gonna maul through these guys and next thing you know, boom. <laughs> There, I don't think we've ever seen like a ship be that disabled that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I like uh, Wynn has a line that I really like. <laughs> I don't know why it struck me that the Paw Race will spare whoever they find worthy. The rest are of 
no consequence. I like it because that's how far she's come. It's she's so far now that like even Sobor, the, the guy that she killed, <laughs> her only concern was to make sure that nobody found the body. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's there's nothing. Because even the way she backed in the previous episode, the way she backed away from Ducat, whenever Sobor said, don't you recognize Ducat? She was backing away. She did look horrified on her face. There was something there. And that was probably the very last of it that we're going to see ever. Well, until moments before she dies, maybe. Wasn't well, uh, it kind of funny? That's a little bit of a parallel between Ducat. You know, Ducat showed his, showed his true self when he was um, trying to read the book. Could that be like part of her true self? The rest are of no consequence. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the duality there. Um, you guys have anything for what this is about, or it's really just an extension of the last one? There's not really anything too new. We get, we get some new stuff in the next one with the Klingons, I think. But mm-hmm. well, well, we the genocide. But we're going to talk about that more in a minute too. So, anything else you guys want to add here before we? No, we can move I don't on. Think so. No. Six degrees, that's not really six degrees for uh, when it rains. Um, Steve, you didn't get yours. So, Adam, um, who played their character more? Was it Mark Alamo as Ducat or Aaron Eisenberg as Nog? I thought this was a hard one. Yeah, it is kind of a hard one. Um, But you'll be surprised at the drastic difference in the numbers. (laughs) I'm going to say Nog. You are correct. Nog was uh, 44 to uh, Ducat's 33. All right, move on. Tacking into the Wind, Season 7, Episode 22, Production Number 572. Original air date, May 12, 1999. Written by Ronald D. Moore, directed by Mike Viger, music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Casey Biggs as Damar, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, Robert O'Reilly as Galron, John Vickery as Gol Roussat, Salome Jens as Female Shapeshifter, Kitty Swink as Laron, and J. Paul Bomer as Bornar. While Kira reviews tactical plans with the Cardassian resistance leaders, Oda returns from a mission, weakened by the disease that's ravaging his race, that is quickly killing him because he is shifting at a higher rate than normal. Meanwhile, Sisko dresses down Chancellor Gowron, who has taken control of the Klingon military actions, for his reckless attacks, which left General Martok seriously injured. And Worf and Ezri discuss the future of the Klingon Empire. A new day must dawn for our people. I am not the man to usher in that day. But there is a man here who can. Worf, I do not seek leadership. Kalos said, great men do not seek power. They have power thrust upon them. All right. I really want to talk about some of this Klingon stuff. Um, Um, Chancellor Galron, been around for a long time. Yeah. It felt... It felt good. Yeah. You know, Worf challenges him. Worf kills him. It's a, it's a good fight. Although even my DVD, it was very obvious. The stunt people, it was like watching an episode of the original series. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Galron face didn't even look like Galron. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, but that aside, uh, it was, it was coming good... for like 10 years, you know? <laughs> yeah. Was... He's been on, on all, you know, uh, next gen DS9. And, <clears throat> 
it was it was uh you know and Worf it, and him it didn't feel kinda... like i didn't feel cheated out of Gowron. you know oh, this no. felt right well, in a way, you kind of knew. It was, I mean, because you look at Worf and Chancellor Galeron's um, relationship; it's definitely been a roller coaster over the years of highs and lows. Um, I would say over the last couple, it's been more lows. Yeah. But when he when he when he finally arrives on the station, that's when he actually accepts Worf back because he's part of Martos' family. But yeah, they're they're two guys that really don't like each other, and they had a brief time where they did, but it didn't last very long. Was, was Dalron always so political? You know, if he's doing yeah. these things with Martok for purely political reasons, that is not honorable. And is that who he always was or did he become this way? Um, I think it, there's certainly been a political element even from the beginning from what I recall. I watched, Nick, I watched Next Gen episodes a lot over and over and stuff. And I remember this kind of stuff. It was just part of, his, part of who he is, is the politics. Yeah, wasn't that initially um, – there was a couple things going on, especially when um, – who was it? They they cloned um, Kales. Kales, and yeah, because they were upset with Galron because he was too much of a politician and couldn't bring the empire together. So. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Caesar, you mentioned it first, Steve. So, Steve, you felt uh, uh, this was organic. Yeah. Galron's yeah. death, and yeah, it it felt right, and it felt like something important to happen, you know, towards the end of the series as well. And, yeah, if uh, it happened a year a year earlier on DS Nine, I that would not have been cool. But it it the end of DS Nine really, and in, in, it did end so many things from Next Gen, and that makes sense because Next Gen DS Nine, these were uh, the same universe, the same quadrant, the same everything, even Voyager. Which you know is the other sort of contemporary show. It, it's it takes place so far away that there's really not any relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So it did feel it did feel right that this would end with DS9. That Galron would end with DS9. And it, and how it led to this too with the conversation between Ezri and Worf was yes. very satisfying too. Yeah, it was a good good conversation. I think that there, her conversation with him, which is my favorite scene in this episode, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> it it gives such weight to Worf's challenge of Garon. You know, she says to him, "You're the most honorable man I've ever met, and if you're unwilling to tolerate men like Garon, then what hope is there for the Empire?" It's such a simple, honest thing. Um, I, and here's my favorite thing about it. She just said like something more insightful than I ever remember. Jed and I like Jedzia. Listeners know that, but she like served more of this of a of an intellectual purpose here than I ever remember. Worf's husband or Worf's wife serving. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to think about the difference between the characters. Jadzia was more of a um, warrior scientist, whereas Actually, Esri Esri's more. You know, she's a psychologist. She's um. You know, right. she's more logical. Um, but it was a, I mean, you know, and it's one of the few times that we're going to see, um, in these, especially in these last couple episodes, where we're going to see where, you know, Star Trek's actually saying something to our society about corrupt leaders and how we accept things and that kind of thing. So it was, um, it was, it was a good, I agree with both of you guys, it was the best scene of the whole episode, even, even though the fight scene at the end with Gowron dying was pretty cool, too. Yeah, I love that moment when um, Worf crashes through that glass it was like that glass <laughs> it was placed there so that he could go flying through it <laughs> yeah. you know i was actually surprised when they decide where to have a, a big klingon meeting 
You're like, no, we need some glass here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in case fight breaks out. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was actually surprised Galron was so good of a good of fighter, you know, because he's such a politician. He's not really a, a warrior in that sense. But I guess they had to had to make it dramatic, you know. Yeah, I mean, as soon as they start fighting, you're like, Galron's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that feeling of oh my god, Galron's dead. I have it at the beginning of the fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because right, right. you know we we know Worf's a badass. <laughs> yeah, we're, nobody's gonna beat Worf. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, narratively it doesn't work, and then you know what we've seen throughout the show doesn't work. You know, Garon's kind of a little, like we said, he's a he's a politician. He's not a warrior, and we know Worf, you know, kicks butt. Garon is bug eyes, <laughs> <laughs> but he throws Worf through that glass. Very dramatic. Well, also dramatic. They killed. This is the one we mentioned earlier. Uh, they they killed Damar's family. It's also a nice scene. Um, such a nice scene when they kill his family. Dolph <laughs> <laughs> Kira's reaction to learning of his family's uh, death. Um, and uh, Kira can't help but take a little dig uh, when he says something like, who would order the death of innocent women and children and civilians? And um, Kira says, yeah, Damar, who what kind of a person orders that? Who would do that? Uh, of course, referencing the uh, Cardassian occupation of Bajor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a... It's it's a moment that's very more than anything that is true to Kira, because yeah, you know she's always thinking about this. This this is always her life, you know. Especially she, now. Yeah, and she can't stop it, even when she knows that she would, when she thinks she would have been better off not mentioning that. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, I love Garrick's reaction to that too. He had probably some of the better lines in this episode as well when he was love Garrick actually, <laughs> and, and garlic, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Garlic and Garrick. Yeah, says um, if he's the if he's going to be the leader of the Cardassia that we hope he's going to be, um, then he needs those. He needs to hear that kind of thing. And sure enough, by the end of the episode, uh, Demar kills Rusat and uh, says he was my friend, but his Cardassia is dead and it won't be coming back. Um, kind of a you know conclusion to that scene we were just talking about where he learns the death of his family and mm-hmm. it does appear that he has learned um that Cardassia is going to change forever needs to change <clears throat> um oh gosh um also Kira does a really good job imitating the voice of the Vorta <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 it's really weird <laughs> almost too good hmm. Um, do we want to talk about um, we're just going to deal with all the genocide in the next episode or there's a little bit more of that <laughs> going on in this one too I like a little table the genocide for next time. <laughs> I like to have my genocide with a little cheese actually. <laughs> a little Chianti yeah <laughs> <laughs> a nice Chianti uh, yeah um, Odo uh, looks worse and worse in this episode um, you know the moments between her and between Kira and Odo. Um, they're nice, of course. Um, there's nothing um, too impressive about them, but they're they're nice. There's, I mean, too remarkable. Not impressive. Wrong word. Remarkable. Um, last thing I want to mention is when the the female the female changeling orders. Um, Cardassian civilian interrogations so that they can find these re- re- 
rebels like um, Demar, and um, of course, you know, redouble your efforts to find Demar's family. Just, just that's that's the order. Hurry, try harder to find his family so that you can kill them. You know, mm-hmm. um, when she says that line about you need to start rounding up Cardassian civilians, it just seems so obvious to me that 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 is going to have the opposite effect of keeping Cardassians in line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's something that. Well, if you think about it, it's something that worked for them in in their quadrant. You know, when we when they came across, you know, when we learned about different civilizations on you know on the other side there, they they talked about like you know they'd send the Jemadar and just kill us all, and so we behaved. Um, that's not how things go on in the Alpha Quadrant. Um, so it's they they don't understand, I guess. How you know? I guess it's 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 kind of like how you know if we all if we went to an you know another an indigenous country and you know fought them just like we fought the last indigenous country. And people aren't the same; they don't think the same from different areas. And so we talked about it before. It's their overconfidence. They used one tactic that worked here, but it doesn't not necessarily going to work everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that made sense to you that she would do this. Yeah, I mean, it did because I mean they've they've yeah. yeah they've set it they've they've set that up over the years. So I mean, yeah. they just they that's one of their tools is is terror and and instilling fear and they haven't figured out that that'll only take you so far. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to. Were you surprised? Um. Well, I. You can say a lot of negative things about the Dominion and the the changelings. Um, but one thing you can't say is that they are dumb. They seem <laughs> true, true. You know? And it seems like, like she seemed too smart to make that order to me. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause the consequences of that order seem obvious to me. Um, now maybe it's just because she's saying we, we cannot fight two fronts at once and we need to stop these Cardassian rebels in, as quickly as possible. You know, you know. Maybe she's thinking that once the war is over, then they can take their time with Cardassia. But right now, we just need to stop them fast. Um, I, I don't know. I'm kind of stretching on that, but well, I mean, I think. I mean, they, especially this female change link. They, she has a very much a disregard for um, solid life. She, you I know, noticed that. very very callous. So I don't think she really cares if she kills one it's Cardassian almost, it's or a million. Like, no, it's not a question of care. I'm saying that by angering, by doing something that's going to further anger Cardassians, she, instead of suppressing mm-hmm. the rebels, she's going to create more. And she's, right. it seemed like she was too smart to make that choice. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's it's a poor tactic. And I, I half wonder if it's a weakness for this particular uh, founder is that she just, her, she lets her anger uh, control her in that respect. You know, she's just, uh, well, that makes me mad. I'm going to kill some people. You know, yeah. it's just, yeah, yeah. It just, just goes off the handle, you know. And, and Plus she's she, sick. Yeah, she's she's kind of sick too. You know, she's probably grumpier, even more yes. grumpier than usual, because you know she's her clay skin is scaling, is peeling off. Um, anything you guys want to talk about? What this is about? I know we're so we're going to discuss genocide momentarily. I don't think there's too much of that in this one anyway. <laughs> it's okay. about the end of Galron. The end of Galron. Well, you could say it's the end of the end of. Um, certain kinds of cultures and civilizations because you know mm-hmm. has that conversation with um with Worf that says I think the Klingon 
I think the the Klingon way of life is ending because it's just it's all corruption. And Worf makes a decision uh, to change things to, to change things. And um, the same thing happens with uh, Dumar. Dumar, yes. you know, mm-hmm. he decides Cardassia needs to change. Yeah, there is something wrong with ordering the deaths of, of you know, women and innocent children, people. innocent civilians. Um, but I, I, I like that um, Martok becomes the chancellor because, uh, you know, now Martok says to Worf, I do not desire this or something to that effect. And Worf quotes Kalos and says, great men do not seek power. They have power thrust upon them. My first thought whenever he said, I do not seek this, um, was that? There was a line in, I think it was Gladiator, where, you know, like the, the humble, innocent guy who said, uh, I don't want to rule. And then the ruler says, but that's why you should be in charge because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't seek this power um, and I think that's that's exactly why it was great that uh, Martok became the leader and in the same way you know Damar is leading Cardassians only because he wants his people to be free and have free will um, not because he wants to be their leader not because he wants to run Cardassia he technically was that before but now he's something more now he's free you know so you know you could you could certainly make the argument that this episode is about um, changing of the guard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, the evo- I'd, I'd evolution of, of worlds and cultures. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, Adam has one. Steve has none. Correct. Yes. I think it's Steve. Uh, Steve. New game. <clears throat> Which of the following characters did Jeffrey Combs not? play on Star Trek. <laughs> Tyran, Carr, Mulcahy, Shran. <laughs> okay. Um, well, could you s- mm-hmm. yeah. I'll give them to you in reverse order. All right. Shran. Okay. Who, who is that? Who is Shran? Andorian. Yeah, but we're looking for somebody that Jeff Combs did not play. So did Jeff Combs play Shran? Yes. Okay, so therefore that is not the correct answer. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm just trying to get remember the names. Um, so, um, Kehi. I think the first name was Kevin. I'm not sure about that. Okay. Car, uh, K A R, and Tiron, T I R O N. I'll go with Car. Wow, you got it. I thought that was a hard one. Car was Eisenberg, Aaron Eisenberg's character. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Tiron was. Uh, uh, Jeff Combs played him as an earlier DS9 episode where he wanted to, I think he wanted that naked holodeck. Thing. Yes, of Kira. Yes. Well, he <laughs> is was the character he played on um, Far Beyond the Stars. All right, one to one. Moving on. Extreme Measures, Season 7, Episode 23, Production Number 573, Original Air Date, May 19th, 1999, Written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, Directed by Steve Posey, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest casts include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Jacqueline Schultz as Jessica, Kate Asner as Nurse Bandy, Tom Holleran as Operative, and William Sadler as Sloan. <laughs> When Kira brings a terminally ill Odo back to the station for medical treatment, he orders her to leave him and return to help the Cardassian resistance. 
Soon after, O'Brien and Bashir inform Cisco of their plan to lure a Section 31 operative who may hold the cure to Odo's disease to the station. The scheme works when Sloan, the director of the unsolicited Starfleet extremist organization that infected Odo as part of a genocide plot against his people, arrives in Bashir's quarters. I'm going to find a cure for Odo's disease, and you're going to help me. I don't you think I know anything about it. You came here because you thought I'd discovered a cure, and you wanted to destroy it. But first, you'd have to find it in my lab. And in order to do that, you'd have to know exactly what it was you were looking for. Okay. <laughs> I do remember this episode well. Now, this episode's interesting in, in our 10-episode finale arc, where this episode is kind of the only one that's sort of a standalone. They almost go out of their way to have uh, the conversation between um, Cisco, O'Brien, <clears throat> and Bashir, kind of near the beginning, where they, they explain everything that's happened and everything that they're going to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, which you wouldn't need if you were watching them all, but... It, this episode pretty much works as standalone, and none of the others from the final arc do. Um, and I don't think for that reason, I think it's just coincidence, but this to me is the only episode of these last ten that I think isn't, uh, at least I remember, we still have a couple to go, but that I remember thinking wasn't very good. Um, this episode uh, has some good scenes, um, but just overall fundamentally and maybe you guys totally disagree i don't know but this is one of those times where the fundamental premise is such a stretch the tech is so absurd to me you know it's so nutty that we're going to go into this into sloan's mind and walk around Mm -hmm. that i don't buy the episode almost from the very beginning well, the episode is good right to the point when they decide, when Bashir goes, go get me whatever. Go get me the magic tool. That, that's, when this episode, <laughs> that's when this episode takes a turn Turn that goes into to, um, absurdity. Land. Yeah, I mean, I, I was on board right up to that point, And then I was like, eh, you know, that could have gone another way. I think it probably looked better on paper than it actually came out on screen. I, th- I, th- I think when you take extreme tech stuff that seems very implausible it makes the rest of it have to be really good to live up to it and i think that's the problem i don't think this is awful i just think that it's a bad combination of uh a tech that's that's implausible and we can't really explain that seems silly with with a whole the narrative and everything that goes on later is just kind of plotting and tedious you know and, and together those make for a not so great episode uh, i also think they um i also think they lost an opportunity here because you know they're they're basically wrestling with these um issues of genocide and what's right or wrong and um and if you think about it right up to the point before sloan you know takes his cyanide capsule you know uh, bashir and um o'brien are basically gonna you know torture him you know, they're just going to torture. So, and then they just kind of let him off the hook with it. I mean, they've decided Cisco's on board with it. They're all, they're all going to torture him. And then they kind of let everybody off the hook, the whole issue when he kills himself. I think they could have gone down an interesting road there instead of going the way they did. Yeah. It, it, it goes from asking interesting questions to, um, fantasy land in Sloan's brain, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they get back to it a little bit near the end. I, I like, I, I do like um, the best scene for me uh, is uh, O'Brien and Bashir right after they get shot and they're sitting down the hallway and they're talking for a while. And, you know, I love her, 
but I like you more. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a nice, quiet little scene. It's nice. But does it fit in the episode? Well, I don't think anything fits in. Um, in in give Sloan's me, brain? Give me the magic tool so that we can go sit in <laughs> yeah. Sloan's brain. I don't think anything fits in that. It, you know, and that's another thing, too. Almost, I would have bought that more if it had just been Bashir or, or O'Brien. But it's even more absurd that it's the two of them walking around together. You know, mm-hmm. that's even crazier. But anyway, uh, that scene with the two of them sitting down there, it's nice to have one last um, uh, Bashir O'Brien kind of episode or moment in, throughout mm-hmm. the series. We've had a lot of those going all the way back to uh, Armageddon Game, which is one of my favorite episodes in the entire series. I think it's a really underrated episode. We talked to, I've talked referenced that many times. The one where they were uh, O'Brien was dying on the planet and they were stuck yeah. there. I love that episode. Um, anyway, so it, it's nice to get one last kind of O'Brien and Bashir episode, I suppose. But um, And then maybe toward the end, I, I like some of the stuff, the scene in um, Sloane's office. He has the line about, in the real world, there's no office like this. And this is your chance. And he's one last try to keep uh, Bashir from getting out. And it's only because he has... Know, his friend there to save him. Um, you know that. I mean, that's nice, but it's just one of those times where the tech is just so silly that I never forgive it. I never. I'm never with the episode for that. You know, and I do remember. You know, uh, gosh, which who was it? Um, a big sci-fi writer, and I can't remember which one. Um, it wasn't Bradbury. It was not Bradbury. But who said? You know, any technology. Um, will appear to be magic to a civil to a civilization that's primitive enough, you know. So I I do try to think. Well, you know, maybe someday they really will be able to do what they do in this episode, and it, that would seem like magic to me. But I I think I'm pretty capable of. I I know Star Trek. I know this Star Trek very well. Inside this Star Trek universe, this is silly magic, you mm-hmm. know. I think yeah. that's why it, that's why it bugs me. It's not, you know, it's not an inability to comprehend that there's lots of tech on this show that's beyond our tech. It's that this tech seems beyond their tech. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't fit in the show, and it just it still it seems as silly in their world as it would in mine. Right, it's context. I mean, if we yeah. see nothing of the sort of this ever in in Trek, and we're used to it, that's why. And that's why there there are people out there that that just aren't into sci-fi at all because they can't get past anything that's uh-huh. that's tech at all. And I think that's this is kind of a small version of that. You know, we're very used to what we you know we're the kind of stuff we see in Star Trek, and it's something the certain things stick out. You know, and it's not just that anything's possible. You know, it's got to make some sense in context. You know. I, you know, I think they went down this road because they have a little bit of precedent, especially in this series where they've gone into people's brains. You know, we've, this isn't mm-hmm. the first time we've actually seen it. It's the first time we've seen it, but, you know, the whole tech montage to get it done. But it has been done, and it's been done at least two or three times in this series. Um, yeah. Um, like I said before, I, my dis- dis- biggest disappointment was is they, 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 they were wrestling with a serious issue, and they just, they just dropped it. Right. 
I, I think it's unfortunate because I think the the good part of this really is the last adventure of Bashir and O'Brien, and I think that um, it you know they they made it silly in that way, and there were too many things they had to tackle. And I and I read how essentially they had to make this a bottle show; they didn't couldn't afford to make sets everywhere else, so they were they were yeah, kind so of constrained. Sloan, when they asked Sloan, why why in your brain are we seeing? Why are you imagining the sets of you know our hall stuff? <laughs> Instead of saying, I wanted you to be comfortable, he should have said, I couldn't afford anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My brain's dying. This is the last thing I'll remember. So they don't really get to genocide very much. And we've been telling our listeners the last three episode discussions, we're going to talk about it. So let's talk about it. Um, I'm sure we all pretty much agree that uh, even in the face of war, genocide is, you know, inexcusable. Um, what about. If you believed your own species uh, was going to go extinct, what if you what if you believed that it was you or them? Like if they won, then they were going to commit genocide on you. Uh, Did they I tackle that an enterprise? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I'm I think, just making I'm making a, a lame joke there. Well, sure. Sorry. I think I think I think most would think that strictly speaking, that's not an excuse. But I th- also think that faced with that choice, most would choose yourself over the other person. You know, but of course, that that's those circumstances are pretty rare to be like, okay, either I get my entire species is killed, <laughs> or I can kill all that entire species. You know, that's that's, that's what Section Thirty One is is trying to imply is the case, or no? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Section Thirty One are obviously they're they're the extremists. You know, they found a way to wipe them out, and so they have no problem doing that. They they have the their the priority of preserving the Federation is so far above anything else that that's why they take such drastic measures. We saw this a bit in uh, Next Gen when they had the chance to wipe out the Borg. Oh yes. And and Picard said, "Didn't Picard say that you're talking about genocide?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember that. I think they left it just as kind of unanswered there as they did here. Um, it was really just two schools of thought. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's wasn't Picard on board with the with the idea of killing all the Borg until he got to know who was it, Hugh, as an mm. individual, and then he he backed off. Right? Is that, am I remembering correctly? No, you know what we should do? <laughs> we should watch all of Next Gen so that we can remember. <laughs> Let's do that soon. Um, so, genocide. We don't recommend it, kids. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty dark, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm starting to think in my head back there. I mean, you know, Picard was on board with that. Then he was again. Didn't he get reprimanded by that? I can't remember the name of the admiral. She's been in this series too, but it's been been a number of years. Um, the the blonde haired woman, Chechev. Chechev. Yeah, didn't she reprimand him for you know not uh, you know? So I think there's that thread in Starfleet that you know um, there's uh, it, there's just a sec you know just to you know if you think about it in society there are you know extreme thoughts and then they're you know on one way or the other and i don't think you know but, you know we like to think of starfleet starfleet is just one you know collective good mind but i mean you know i think that there is the sense of here's the reason it's probably a different situation with the borg it is unquestionable that their goal is to 
eliminate your species, basically, to take over all of you, mm-hmm. period. There is no... To integrate there, you. There is nothing else but that. Mm-hmm. But here we have the, car, the, the Dominion that want to rule you. Um, now, now, we had um, uh, the Jack Pack episodes. And in one of those, I think the first one, they talked about their estimates that, well, you know, if, if the Federation loses, eventually, you know, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, eventually there will be a rebellion. It will start slowly. It will gain. And eventually, the, you know, you know mm-hmm. humans and the like will be free again. Um, that's something that would not be possible under the Borg. Yeah. Um, so that does seem like a different situation, but... So yeah, it's it's extreme and it's very difficult to justify that what Section Thirty One have done. Indeed. What do you think the average person in on say Earth, if they heard about this, how would they have reacted? This is Earth of this you know century. If they were faced with such a choice, if they yeah. heard that, if they heard that Section Thirty One had uh, created this disease to kill all of the founders. Uh, I would think the they would be disgusted. Infected with it. They would be disgusted? They may not be sympathetic, but they would be disgusted by the idea about it. I think today's society would be disgusted with genocide. I mean, you know, I think genocide occurs on our planet today um, more than, you know, we like to admit, but I don't think anybody is all right with genocide. I think, I think, it'd, I think it'd be like anything. I think there'd be a group that, uh, openly protests it and, and talks about how bad it is, but then depending on the end result, the masses end up not really caring and it just happens. It depends, you know, depends on who benefits. I think that's kind of what goes on. Well, there's someone who benefits in this episode from, uh, Bashir and O'Brien's actions with Sloan, and that would be Odo. Mm-hmm. Cure is found and Odo is saved. And here we have the end of the three episodes where he actually had the disease <laughs> <laughs> that I thought were 10 or something. Um, and that Caesar didn't remember about it all. So we were both wrong. Um, so what do you got for what this episode's about? Is it, I mean, well, so you guys are kind of with me that was it, you didn't care for this episode, and if so, it was the the tech stuff that bothered you. Or no, Caesar. I think you make a very good point that they they abandoned these weightier themes uh, theme discussions for you know uh, for um, Sloan three yeah, yeah for magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know I th- well I think we're all kind of bringing up different things a little bit because for me I, I agree with all what you guys have said but for me it's also about the lost opportunity to make a a one big nice final O'Brien Bashir episode you know and how it kind of turned into a farce. Yeah. A brain farce. Excuse me. <laughs> I just ate some ice cream and I have a brain farce. <laughs> okay. Six degrees for extreme measures that isn't really six degrees. Uh, Adam, it's one to one. This is your chance to win it. Go ahead. Which of the following characters did J.G. Hertzler not play on Star Trek? Roy Ritterhouse. Las, Damon Brackdor, or Colos? Uh, I'm just going to say Colos. 
No, he played <laughs> uh, that character. I believe it was a Klingon he played on Enterprise. Right. I believe. Uh, Damon Bracht was Armin Shimmerman's uh, Ferengi character from Next Gen episodes peak performance. So one to one, gentlemen, a tie. I don't know. It depends. I'm, I'll probably do the same kind of game next time. Um, so, folks, our next episode, we are going to be finishing DS9, sort of. Uh, so we're going to be tackling the last three episodes. That's the uh, Dogs of War, I think, and then mm-hmm. What You Leave Behind, the two-parter. Um, and then after that, we're going to have a discussion. You know, that's so that's two weeks from now, and then two weeks after that, we're just going to have a whole podcast we kind of look back on DS9 and talk about it and stuff. Um, and then two weeks after that, we will be starting Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 1, Episode 1. Uh, very excited about that. Steve, you said you finally got your uh, your Blu-ray replacement discs? Yes, yes. Everything's cool. Yeah, I got mine as well. I was very happy. They sent the, Did you get that cute little postcard they sent? Yeah, that was fun. Oh. A little bonus. Yeah, that was nice. Um, oh, and... Okay, listeners, if you tried to listen to us last weekend or week before last on um, Trekmates Potathon and you missed us by an hour, we apologize. We were on there. Basically, there was confusion. And I still think that we were right. But mm-hmm. yeah, we, we looked it up and the GMT, we had a GMT time slot and that's when we were ready. Yeah, we're going to be ready. GMT is not in London. I think that's the issue. Yeah, yeah li- listeners out there, don't feel bad. You weren't the only ones who missed it. <laughs> yeah, so Mr. Caesar w- missed it, and and so Steve and I were able to hop on, but we were only on for maybe thirty minutes or so. It was so. So if you missed it, sorry, it's not our fault. It's not your fault, but I'm sorry that you missed it. Uh, it was a good discussion. We talked about a little bit about what we want to see in a new Trek television series, but mostly we talked about um, Abrams' universe like, and the new movie and stuff. Um, so I'm sure we're going to talk about that plenty though, yeah. as we get closer to Star Night. Trek into darkness. Mm. <laughs> Was that the title? I didn't, I haven't even. Yeah. Seen. Like, and Trek is, there's no colon. So it's like the word Trek is like a verb. It's Star <laughs> Trek into darkness. <laughs> <laughs> well, the right. accent on the second syllable. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, so anyway. me? Yeah, it's me. Uh, supposedly, this, now this is not official, but supposedly the first trailer will be Christmas. But cool. well, they right. stopped. The shooting was done. What in May or June? Uh, June. I think they finished up in June. <clears throat> yeah, they should have a trailer. Yeah, they should. I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're working on it, but it's probably not going to come out until Christmas. But anyway, this is the first one that's three. What IMAX 3D the cameras or something like that? Well, they they shot it on IMAX. Uh, but not 3D. They're they're doing a post conversion for 3D. Isn't that the first time it's been done? With which part? Well, well, this is the first time shot with an IMAX camera, and the IMAX IMAX footage is being converted to 3D. I think that's no. I think we we've seen we've well we've seen plenty of 35 millimeter up converted to IMAX and then post converted to 3D. We've seen that on. Yeah, but I think this is the first time that IMAX, actual IMAX footage is being converted to 3D. Oh, okay. The, the actual original IMAX footage. Because like you said, they up-convert to the, to the, for the IMAX for, for different movies, but I, I don't know. As a general rule, I have zero interest in post-converted 3D. It's, <laughs> it's like the one time I probably would will 
one of the times I see it. I've seen all the Star Trek movies when they come out on screen at least five times. How many times do you see them? It varies. It varies. Okay. Anyway, um, I, I'm sure one of the times I see it, I'll see it in 3D. But as a general rule, I'm not interested in post-conversion. Um, but I and it was going to be in 3D everywhere in IMAX. So I yeah. will definitely, definitely be seeing it on IMAX. But anyway, um, I'm sure we will talk lots, lots, lots more about that. It's down the road. Yeah. Very excited about next gen, and very sad to finish DS9. These are conflicting feelings I have. Hopefully, uh, listeners, you will be back in two weeks and share uh, in our conflicting feelings as we finish watching DS9. Until then, take it easy. Have a good night, guys. See you. By the way, <laughs> follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Follow us on Twitter. That's at trekcompanion. Send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Okay, now I really need it. Bye.